2: tweets, Trump, and Iran. Here to help us understand all of these different things is Jack Devine. He is the former acting director of the Central Intelligence Agency, and he is also the founding partner and the president of the security firm, The Arkin Group. He joins us here in our 1130 studios. Jack, thank you very much for being here. Do you have a security clearance? I do. What is your reaction to the news report's about the potential for revoking the security clearances of several former administration security officials?
3: Look, I can understand why the president's upset. I can understand um, why it's painful to listen to them, but free speech is a a big part of our, is a critically important part of our system. And you can't, you you have to, in the political arena, you have to live with it. i do think there's questions about why we have so many people that have security clearance last time i looked it was in the three millions why government officials carry it into the private sector i mean legitimate reasons but to go after because you don't like what's being said i think is wrong footed well and i don't think it has legs if you'll use excuse the pun i don't (laughs) i don't think there's going to be a long lasting story i don't think they're going to do it but you know it rattles everybody's cage
0: Another thing that's rattling uh, everybody's cage right now is President Trump's rhetoric toward Iran, uh, similar to the approach that he took with North Korea, uh, basically threatening them and, uh, and and the idea of sanctions definitely coming up. What's going on here?
3: Well, I think there's the bigger picture of where we headed in Iran, but let's start with the, today's today's news, if you will. Uh, I think the fact that Rouhani, the president in Iran, spoke out so forcefully and said, if you do try and sanction us, you know, be the mother of all wars. I mean, the predictable reaction, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that President Trump's going to come back and loves a good fight and is just going to come back as strong as you can. And says, if you think that's the mother of all uh, wars, what do you see what I have for you? So. Uh, I was reading an article today where, uh, quoting someone, saying, "You know, th- they're dealing with a different fish in this pond now. You know, what they might have gotten away with in past with challenges, but if uh, you know, if they really think they're going to use force, the Iranians, then, then I think they need to be prepared for a pretty harsh response. I mean, I don't think it's all bravado.
0: So, you think that we could have a military altercation with
3: Iran?" I've been concerned about the prospects. It used to be my concern about Pakistan having nuclear weapons that kept me awake. The thing that has troubled me, and I've written about this in my quarterlies for the past year, the place to watch. I mean, I'm obviously fixated on the Russian-Helsinki meeting, but I would say the longer-term issue where there's a real risk is Iran and our relationship with them. Jack, uh, you've had a
2: 32-year career with the CIA. Uh, you're also the author of a book called "Good Hunting: A Spy Master's Story," based on what you know. Do you believe that the meeting that took place between Vladimir Putin and President Donald Trump was recorded?
3: That's a good uh, a, a good question. Um, I would um, I wouldn't bet a lot of money, but I think it was limited to the stenography. All right. Now, they'd have to have an agreement, and I i would think if I were either the participants, I would not want it recorded, because you're not sure how that meeting's going to go. Uh, I think it's too risky to have it recorded. I think they were prudent, actually, uh, if you want to have, um, you know, once in a while, you really do have to do one-on-one. And uh, I, I seriously doubt that it was recorded, but think- I wouldn't bet a lot of money on it.
0: Do you think that uh, President Trump's lack of uh, castigation of Russia for their involvement in the election, which is agreed by uh, bipartisan groups that there was meddling by the Russian government in U.S. elections, do you think that the president's uh, tepid kind of approach to that puts us into greater danger?
3: I think the uh, I think President Trump was on a roll depending on how you look at it up until he landed in the UK and I thought something a wheel fell off of the car in terms of the preparation and strategy of the meeting and then I honestly must say Helsinki I thought was a huge setback for the president in terms of exerting what looked like a very strong president i mean you may not like the policies it may not be popular eventually the popularity cuts up with it but it was strong whether you liked it or not i i think the biggest and most troubling thing about that meeting was a a a sense of uh, of weakness and not coming out ahead which is a very bad place for a president to be i remember i was a kid but i remember Khrushchev meeting Kennedy uh, on the first summit meeting, and they didn't want Kennedy to make the meeting, and he did, he being Kennedy and Khrushchev, well, it was a disaster for Kennedy. After that meeting, Putin went off and decided he was going to push push hard and put missiles into Cuba. And what he didn't realize is Jack Kennedy, at the same time, realized he did poorly and, and and strengthened it. And then you had a confrontation, as close as we've gotten to nuclear war, and... Um, Fortunately for Kennedy, we had in his pocket uh, inside intelligence from the spy Penkovsky and was able to push back on uh, on Khrushchev. So I think there's a dynamic here. And what is, alistair Trump going to regain his strength? And does that come from uh, pushing back? And um, I think that would be my recommendation. I am a bit befuddled by the call for a second summit in that context. I thought I had a pretty good grasp of what was gonna happen next, and now I'm ambivalent.
2: Jack, uh, one of your uh, various uh, duties, you headed the CIA's Counter-Narcotics Center. Uh, You also uh, worked on the response of the United States to Russian incursions in Afghanistan. Do you believe that there's a casual relationship between human behavior and logic? (laughs)
3: that's that's a really interesting question i'm not sure where you're coming from and i would say yes qualified why qualified well i think we all think we're very logical right but i do think that we all come out of the the same place with a a dna and makeup that was somehow related to some uncle who was a little flaky so maybe we're not we're, we're trying to be logical Um, but we do have personalities that are are developed. Um, So, yeah, I'd like to be optimistic that uh, mankind, womankind as well, uh, are logical.
0: Well, let's hope that that logic prevails. Uh, Jack Devine, uh, thank you so much for being with us. We could uh, spend another hour talking. uh, So many questions, uh, so uh, we'll have to have you back. Turn sort our of focus to emerging markets, in particular Turkey. Assets are falling out of bed there after the central bank unexpectedly held interest rates where they were, despite the fact that inflation uh, was spiraling out of concern and that many people were saying that they needed to support the currency. Of course, uh, the president's son-in-law is now helming the central bank. So, Damien Sassauer joins us now, fixed income strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, Damien. Wow. Turkey, are you surprised by this? Or is this just, uh, you know, an ongoing mess that just gets worse?
4: Well, I'm not surprised and it is an ongoing mess. And it's <laughs> it's one of his own making. It's one, of, it's one of Erdogan's own making, right? I mean, we have a country that's operating with a 6.1% current account deficit. Um, its debt is 40% funded in external currencies. And it's all short-term portfolio flows, right? So how are they going to fund their debt? How are they going to fund the country's operations? I mean, the only way to do that is to raise rates and appeal to offshore creditors to continue you know basically making its economy more investable and it did not do that today and so now we've seen the lira the worst performer pretty much um outside of argentina on the year down 22 percent local currency turkish debt down 29 percent year to date in dollar terms uh yeah now you've got yields in the the high teens now 17.8 percent five-year yields in local currency uh it's just it's getting bad it's getting ugly you got inflation there of around 15%, I believe. 15% inflation, that's right. I mean, that was uh, that was in June. It's averaged about 8.5% over the last five years, just to give you a sense of just how far things have gone. I mean, think about PMI. PMI fell to its lowest level on record in May. That signals l- slower GDP growth. I mean, the only way they could possibly think they're going to you know, move their way out of this is to accelerate growth, right? Is to grow their way out of it. But clearly, that's not happening either. And so where does attention now shift? It shifts to the financial sector and, hey, we're in earnings season, right? So you've got all the big Turkish banks reporting starting tomorrow and through next week. And they're also huge, huge issuers of U.S. dollar debt. And they're going to have trouble rolling it over.
0: When I talk to emerging markets investors, particularly the debt world, they say, you know, in general, we still find some things to like in emerging markets credit that sold off a lot but we're not touching Argentina or Turkey. Some yeah. people are actually tiptoeing back to Argentina. Turkey off limits. I'm just wondering, I mean, is Turkey just a completely idiosyncratic story unto itself with a government that just is getting itself deeper into mess or do you see signs of something more pervasive happening across the board in developing yeah, markets? I mean,
4: and you know, I mean, I'm, I, I every time I think I've got emerging markets figured out, Lisa, they always uh, another Turkey pops up and you know, it's just unbelievable the stubbornness. And look, it's it's not unprecedented, right? We've seen in South in, in in Brazil, we saw Dilma, you know, you know contesting the credibility of the, of the Brazilian Central Bank a few years back. We've seen recently in South Africa something similar. We're seeing here in the US, Trump saying he doesn't think rates should continue to go up, right? So this is nothing new, but for a president to basically just shrug off the markets, um, to install his son-in-law as the dual head of the Central Bank and the finance ministry and give him the control, it's basically he's, I mean, now the markets believe he's a puppet, right? And so, you know, Erdogan's on the record as having said he does not think high rates are good for the economy he wants rates lower and uh, we're seeing evidence of that here today and it's just uh, yeah no a, a, a central bank that's um, that's sort of um, not independent that's not targeting inflation that's not targeting full employment you know the markets have a funny way of uh, of showing them where the the clearing rate where the mar- the clearing price is, and um, and I think that's what Turkey's undergoing right now and we don't know where the bottom is they mean if you're an emerging
2: markets investor for debt and you're looking for corporates what sector I'm thinking commodities, maybe extractive industries, mining
4: companies, oil companies. How are they doing? Yeah, no, I mean, you now, now we're going to shift out of Turkey and we're getting to get into the fun stuff. So the fun stuff is this. I happen to think that, uh, oh, I'm sorry, we don't think, the data tells us that Very commodities fun. are over- sold right we're starting to see for the first time we've seen copper short uh comex copper we've seen a a, a, a net short uh a speculative interest move in, you know it's moved short it was it was it was long for as long as we can remember it's now gone short we're seeing the same thing in oil and other commodities and what that tells us is that these markets are vulnerable to a short squeeze to a near-term rebound which could be accentuated to the upside so that's good for all of the commodity producers latin american specific peru Colombia and Chile are, are three that come to mind there. Um, but then you know you've got you've got you've got Russia, who's a pretty big oil exporter, although they have their own problems, and you've got a handful of others, the Middle East, and so forth. So, so yeah, I happen to agree with you. I think you know you're going to see a pivot on the corporate side in emerging markets toward commodity exporters, and uh, we're seeing a little bit of evidence of that now. Although you know we'll see what happens. But I like your thoughts about
2: copper. Very interesting because copper has dropped more than seventeen percent in price. Not. This year, just since the beginning of June.
4: Absolutely. No, yeah. it's oversold. I mean, the red metal is oversold. If you would ask my uh, colleague Mike McGlone, who's actually on vacation now, we should get him up here. But yeah, no, he would agree he with you completely. Get to go on
2: vacation.
4: <laughs> I, I'm sorry, he's not on vacation. He's actually uh, working from home. Thank no, you. but yeah, right. But yeah, no broad commodity sell-off. I mean, that's where we are, and we need to see that kind of rebound in order for emerging markets to catch a bit. I think, and uh, and we might very well be on, on the verge of seeing that. Thanks very much. Damien Sassauer, we love having you on Fixed Income Strategist for
2: Bloomberg Intelligence, telling us all about Turkey and commodity-related emerging market debt.
0: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? biggest question marks right now is around oil. Uh, Particularly, are we heading much higher than $70 a barrel or much lower? Uh, And a lot of this hinges on Iran. Joining us now, Will Rind, founder and chief executive officer of Granite Shares in New York. Well, I want to start with Iran because we've gotten this battle of words between President Trump uh, and the Iranian leaders. And I'm wondering, do you think that the market is pricing in some kind of escalation here and the likelihood? That uh, Iranian oil fields would truly be taken uh, out of service for the rest of the world.
1: In short, no, I don't think so. Um, Iran's a huge producer, you know, one of the largest OPEC producing countries, and so if there was a disruption or an escalation that resulted in disruption, you know that would have a big effect on supply. And right now, what you have is a situation where we have you know strong demand for oil, and almost certainly you'd see the price being pushed higher. How much higher? Uh, it's impossible to say, but... Um, I
0: mean, give us a range. I mean, are we talking, you know, $5? Are we talking $20?
1: I think you could see 10 to $20, yeah.
2: All right, Well, uh, before we get into some details about commodity-related funds, I want to talk just a second about Granite shares, because yes. um, when I was young, before, I think almost just around the time they invented the telephone... Um, One of the ways to be interested in the world was to read annual reports, and it was quite exciting because you got to see how things operated, how companies created products, services all over the world. It was one of the few ways to really access the excitement of what was happening in the world. Tell our listeners a little bit about Granite Shares and how you're trying to bring some of that excitement back.
1: Thank you. Um, So Granite Shares is really, you know, it's my um, expression of what a modern day ETF company uh, should be about or an asset manager should be about. So we specialize in ETFs. ETFs are the new technology, if you will, in the asset management space. And really uh, the reason why they're driving so much popularity and investor flows is because on the whole they're lower cost, more transparent and liquid. And in, in terms of specifically why I started the business, I felt that there was an opportunity, or actually a rare opportunity to really do two things. One was to reinvent the way people access commodity markets uh, in investment form. And two, I felt like the timing was right for a new sort of bull market in commodities. And when I talk about reinvesting uh, the commodity market, before investors had accessed or had access to commodities in sort of two ways, either they had to buy partnerships that issued K-1s, which can be pretty clunky for investors around tax time, or they could buy notes from banks and notes from banks have credit exposure to that particular issuing bank so i thought here's a way to actually change the way that investors get access improve the solution so by offering it in a fund a 40 act fund without k1s but without the credit risk of the the issuing banks of notes and provide that exposure to the broad commodity markets okay Thank you. That's a great
2: definition. And now I want to turn to the actual way in which investors can speculate or invest, let's say, in crude, in oil markets. Is that a specific market? And are there specific challenges to doing that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so so investors have a broad array of options when it comes to investing in either individual commodities or broad-based commodities. Um, and you can invest in gold, for example. Um, something very specific, you can invest in other metals, you can invest in crude, or you can invest in, in broad. Now, I would say, just to, just to be clear, that when we're talking about um, precious metals, we're talking about owning Exposure to Fund. For example, we have the Granite Shares Gold Trust, the ticker code is BAR, and what that actually holds is physical bars of gold. So every share is backed by a tenth of an ounce of gold. Now, that's fine for precious metals because the natural state is stored in a vault and we can do that. But when we go outside into other commodities that either decay or die over time, you have to obtain that exposure via futures contracts. So, when we're talking about oil, we're not talking about physical barrels of oil, we're talking about futures contracts that are linked to the price of oil.
0: So since we started with oil, I'm wondering, what have you seen recently with respect to the investors that have been using your ETFs uh, in that space? And do you find that they tend to be more speculators or more true investors?
1: Well, we um, we, we offer really two broad diversified um, commodity funds, so tickers COMB and COMG. And that's really for the investor that wants to take broad market exposure So those people are really more longer-term investors that are looking to to gain longer-term exposure. So we don't offer some of the more racy individual commodities, for example. Um, That may be something we do over time, but at the moment we have just the two uh, broad-based commodities and then we have gold and platinum. And so really that's somebody that is looking to put 5% of the portfolio typically into commodities And the decision-making process that that they're going to go through is really to evaluate how much energy exposure do I want within that particular fund, and that leads you to to the decision of whether you buy one or the other.
2: Okay, the reason I was focusing on oil and futures contracts is there is a natural seasonality not only to oil and other commodities, but... There is a rollover effect because you have the expiration of those contracts. How do you avoid that natural decay of value when you're
1: dealing with futures contracts? Great question. So you can't avoid it. That's a market structure issue. So by definition, when you're investing in futures contracts, the contract you own, depending on what expiry date it is, is going to expire at that expiry date. That is the whole point. And so by definition, to maintain that exposure, we call it rolling. You have to sell that contract before it expires and buy the next contract. And that has a friction associated with it because you're selling one contract and then buying another. And depending on whether that contract that you're buying is trading more expensive or cheaper… That's In the, the money or out of the money. Exactly. That's either a positive or negative effect. I've been
2: looking at COMB as your yep. one example, right? And uh, this is, uh, it was trading like about 27 back in May, uh, now trading at around 25,
1: so a drop of about
2: 8.5%. Do you believe that that's an accurate reflection of the overall commodity market?
1: Yes, so what's happened actually, and this is, this is a great point because I think, you know, it's important for investors to know there are three components that make up what we call the total return of these kind of funds. So the first one is the spot price of the underlying futures, naturally. The second one is what we were just talking about, which is the, we call the roll yield, um, which is either positive or negative. And the third one is the return on the collateral, because when we invest in futures, we hold treasury bills as collateral and they generate an interest rate, albeit not, not a huge amount, but still generates an interest rate. And so those three make up the total return. What's actually happened is the market structure for the majority of, or for most part, commodities has shifted into backwardation. So people are being paid to be long that exposure in oil, for example.
2: Well done. Thanks very much. Will Rind, he is the founder and the chief executive of Granite Shares, talking about investing in commodities through ETFs.
0: Verizon decided that it is going to seek to partner with either Google or Apple to provide television when it launches the first super fast 5G service to homes in L.A. and Sacramento later this year. A big question. Why didn't they go with Hollywood? Why didn't they go with the traditional television networks? And here to talk about that, John Butler, Senior Telecom Services and Equipment Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence, John what happened here?
5: So, first of all, Verizon just held its earnings call, and the question didn't even come up about content really. So, I think the and that reflects the fact that the company is focused on launching these new 5G services. Uh, tell so, people what five G is. So five G is sort of a next generation wireless technology. It is ultra fast. It's probably ten to a hundred times faster than the four G connection you get today. What's really important is you can, as a carrier, you can begin to parse off or, or create these little slices, a dedicated network for your. Uh, business customers and so Verizon is looking at that going wow an ultra fast dedicated connection what appeal that's going to have for the business community and so they're structuring this whole sort of commercial plan down the road but the initial launch is going to be for uh, to overbuild your cable guy or in some cases I guess your telco providing broadband internet services to the home but that is a first step
0: okay I, i just sorry to stop you there i'm trying to sort of figure out what we're who's doing television who's doing the tech part who's doing what because it seems like there's an ever merging of all of these things of the content and the providing of the services and this just sort of increases the confusion so verizon wants to provide television Uh, And it's going to use Google and Apple, which have their own, like, maybe, 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 (laughs) which have their own uh, sort of content providers in various ways. I'm trying to struggle, like, who's doing what here?
5: (laughs) Well, there's a lot of convergence going on. So a lot of cable companies now can provide your telecom services. They provide internet, they provide video. So does Verizon. I have Verizon Fios at home. I don't get my telephone, I get, pardon me, I get my telephone, my video, and my broadband internet all from Verizon. And I think the appeal for a residential customer is bundling. You get service discounts across the board by going with one carrier. They sort of reward you for that. In a lot of markets, Verizon doesn't have the infrastructure to compete with cable by bundling like that. They happen to in my neighborhood but they only have 17 million homes across the US wired to do that. So the plan is to use the ultra fast 5G to provide a last hundred foot connection to the home using wireless. So they don't have to dig trenches like they did in my front yard. They don't need to put fiber in my basement. They put an antenna on my roof and provide service.
0: So. What would Google or Apple actually do, and who's the loser here?
5: Well, the punchline is, do you want to I guess if you're Verizon, do you want to provide just the the dumb pipe as it's called, or do you want to begin to fill it with sort of value-added services? Uh, in In this case, it would be video services coming from Apple, which doesn't currently have a streaming service or Google which has, I believe it's a 60-channel service on YouTube. So by partnering with them, Verizon doesn't really need to get in the content game in a big way like AT&T is doing, for example. They can sort of stay out of it, but what they're offering in terms of the 5G link over a cable operator or in competing with a cable operator, I should say, they'll be able to come to customers and say, will not only give you the pipe at a discount, but we have content that goes along with it.
2: Wow, when you say value-added services, all I see (laughs) is an extra bill to pay at the end of the month. You have Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Spotify, Hulu, Pandora. Now you're telling me, well, I didn't even add in the mobile services, so that may be T-Mobile or Sprint or whatever you've got. Plus, now you're telling me that at t is going to offer something. Are they really going to offer anything that you don't have to pay for?
5: I think they'll have a very ultra-low-cost ad-supported tier on DirecTV Now, which is their streaming service I will add with Verizon, by the way, the partnership with Google or Apple is rumored at this point. Not the 5G services, of course, but the content services to go along with it. So we'll see if it happens or not. It, either way, I would say what you, you're speaking to, that, that convergence between telecom and cable operators, and now even Google and Apple is really happening and going to continue, by the way.
2: I just don't know why this convergence has to cost so much money every month
0: and meanwhile you have verizon with its own uh content provider of oath man my head is spinning
2: yeah just keep writing the checks all right thanks very much john butler he's our expert when it comes to telecom services and equipment he's our analyst for bloomberg intelligence